We're putting science in the spotlight. Hello there, and welcome to another episode of this podcast, In the Spotlight, brought to you by Northwestern University's Science Policy Outreach Task Force, or SPOT. My name is Emily Schaefer. I am one of the hosts of the show, alongside Nicholas Scruton Alvarado. If you're relatively new to the show, welcome. In each episode, either myself or Nicholas will interview a graduate student or postdoc in the sciences about their work, what makes it really cool, and why the rest of us should care about it too. Today's episode, we are going to be delving into what I feel like is always just a perpetual hot topic in science, renewable energy and moving away from those gosh darn technologies that produce carbon pollution. Our resident expert today who is joining us is Carrie Schoneberger. Carrie is a fourth year PhD student at Northwestern University in chemical engineering. So welcome, Carrie. Hi, thanks so much. I'm really excited to be here today. I'm so excited to have you. Before we get into, you know, the the real meat of the episode, I want to first ask, what made you want to become a scientist? I would say I started thinking about um, like math and science, especially around high school years. Um, I remember watching a documentary. I don't remember which one at that time, but it was about like global warming because that was kind of the more talked about term maybe 10 or so years ago, more than climate change. But um, I really uh, liked watching this documentary because it was talking about global warming and climate change as one of the world's biggest problems. And it talked about all the different types of solutions that are out there, but there were a lot of like unanswered questions. And it just kind of inspired me to think like, wow, if I really want to make a difference, this is a good area to go into. I also enjoyed math and science in school. And so that sort of led me into engineering. And then when I got to college, I picked chemical engineering because it was pretty broad and could address that like climate change, global warming issue from many different ways. And eventually I ended up in grad school continuing to study that problem. Before we get into more details about your work specifically, what is the relationship between chemical engineering and all of this climate change research? Uh, well, chemical engineers do a lot of different work. Um, they can work in the food industry, making, uh, I had a friend that worked for Nestle Purina, making cat food. I also had a friend working at um, a craft facility, making the macaroni and cheese, or the the powdered cheese that goes into macaroni and cheese packets. Um, I also spent some time working in the pharmaceutical industry. I also spent some time working at a nuclear power plant. So chemical engineers can work in a lot of different ways. And so all of the ways we use energy in our society is something that chemical engineers work on. And so the way we've been using energy so far has really relied a lot on burning fossil fuels like coal and natural gas. And that contributes to 
heat, uh, greenhouse gases, which warm the planet, leading to some of the effects of climate change. So uh, chemical engineers have a lot to do in terms of operating, uh, what's going on in all of the different facilities I mentioned, but also uh, in terms of the solutions. Uh, researchers are looking at a myriad of solutions and from like materials to uh, analysis, which is more of what I work on. And so they can definitely be part of the solution for climate change. That leads me really well into my next very obvious question. Tell me a little bit more about what you're specifically doing in research. I am in a computational lab. We do a lot of energy analysis. My focus is implementing clean or renewable energy technologies, specifically in the industrial sector and in across all different types of manufacturing industries. So like I mentioned before, that includes um, like food production, uh, chemicals production, like building materials like steel and concrete. All of these different products that are manufactured require energy and um, they've traditionally relied on fossil fuels for that energy. And my type of work looks at alternative technologies and tries to analyze and evaluate them to see which is the best in terms of reducing emissions or in terms of material use. Uh, sometimes we look at water conservation. So the types of work that I've done so far have been looking at solar process heating uh, as well as electrifying technologies. And are all of the problems you're trying to solve in the lab related to climate change? I'm definitely motivated most by climate change, but um, there, are, there are so many other like environmental or economic concerns that are related to my work too. And there are many different tools that, like analysis tools that uh, look at those different features. Obviously using fossil fuels not only com uh, contributes to climate change, but also leads to air pollution, which is a huge environmental concern, especially for people living near facilities where these fossil fuels are burned. I mean, water conservation, like I mentioned, is another important environmental uh, issue. And of course, in the industrial sector uses a lot of water for all of its processes. And so that's definitely um, a big concern. And then this totally relates to uh, economics too, because I'm talking about like adopting new technologies, looking at from the from like the stages of innovation all the way to the commercially available technologies. So those definitely, uh, economics plays a big role in my type of work too. I heard you mention the phrase solar process heating. I've never heard that term before. So give me a little bit of the scoop on what that is and what your project was doing related to that. Yeah, this is a really interesting project. I was working on it in collaboration with the National Renewable Energy Laboratory, which is one of the Department of Energy National Labs. And this project related to solar process heating was looking at different types of solar technologies for heating and producing steam or hot water in industry, in manufacturing industries. And a lot of people think of solar, like solar panels for electricity, and we looked at that too as a way to electrify the heating process, but there's actually a lot of solar technologies that use the energy of the sun and, and the heat energy of it and convert that to take water, make it hotter, or produce steam from that. 
and those can be used in manufacturing facilities as a way to replace burning fossil fuels. There are many facilities already using these technologies today, uh, especially a lot in the food and beverages industry. Those tend to have lower temperature heating needs, so it's a really easy, low-hanging fruit for them. But um, our big report and our big analysis showed that there's a lot of potential in all industries, whether depending on the types of solar technologies that could be used. So for using solar energy for process heating, what's the real barrier to adopting this into more industries and into more companies? Well, the first barrier, I guess, is technologically, but the, these technologies, solar technologies, do exist commercially. So they are being manufactured and made by companies and being demonstrated at scale already in facilities. So economics is a big question uh, when you know fossil fuel-based energy is very cheap. Like natural gas is has been pretty cheap in the last you know 10 to 20 years. And so that makes it easy just to burn to produce the heat that you need for your facilities, for your processes. However, when you put policies in place that may have a carbon price or carbon tax, then maybe that levels the playing field for some of the renewable technologies. So economic concerns is always an important one. And then logistically, switching technologies at a manufacturing facility adds you know, an extra burden for the company or for the people working there. It might require a process change um, or it might require downtime, which in a lot of cases is also losing money for a production line. So there are a couple more logistic concerns and barriers too. Out of curiosity, is solar energy really well suited for these sorts of processes? Or is this just another way of many that solar energy can help us move away from fossil fuels? Both. So you asked a good question about how suitable it is. And that is a good question because people always bring up the fact that solar is an intermittent resource, meaning it is there during the middle of the day, but not at night. And we, t- we definitely factored the time dimension into our analysis uh, because you have to do that with renewables like solar or wind. There are forms of thermal energy storage, so you can still capture that solar heat energy during the day and then have these thermal energy storage systems like water tanks is actually one of the most simplest technologies. You can store it in the form of hot water and then use it later. We also just... We looked at certain um, operation schedules based on different industries. So some industries may operate in more of a batch timing where they run a process for several hours and then stop and start again the next day, whereas others are more continuous. And so the more continuous operation industries, maybe like chemicals, makes it a little harder to adopt solar. But we did still find a lot of potential depending on the scale or the operation schedule of different industries. We detailed just the potential across all industries for where solar could be used and found that it could really replace a a good portion of of our industrial process heating energy. And then solar is just one one piece of the puzzle in terms of decarbonizing heat or trying to reduce emissions in industrial heat. There's other solutions out there, too, that could take us away from fossil fuels. 
for all of this computational modeling and the reports that you're making, what sort of data are you working with to be able to draw these really strong conclusions? Yeah, that's a really good question too. Uh, finding good data or um, starting off with good data and then you know running calculations or models from that is always a challenge, especially when talking about industry and company data. Um, companies that are running plants, uh, industrial plants around the country are definitely not openly sharing their data for competition reasons or other you know, internal reasons. So uh, we rely a lot on national energy data sets. The Department of Energy releases the uh, Manufacturing Energy Consumption Survey, which we call MECS, M-E-C-S, data that details the energy used across different manufacturing industries every four years. This gives us a bit of a delay though, because the most recent set of data that we had to use for the report we worked on was from 2014, because it takes time to, for them to produce the data in you know, a form that can be read by public or other researchers. So um, data availability is definitely a big challenge, but um, we usually start from these national energy data sets on a recent project, I was working a lot with the Environmental Protect Protection Agency or the EPA uh, data sets that had to that released emissions data for different facilities. And then you can sometimes back calculate the energy usage based on what the emissions reporting is. So there's definitely a lot of calculations that go into getting the data we want. And that's definitely a big challenge of my research. All the more reason for open source data to become the norm in science. Yes, I'm a big proponent of that. So you get all of this data, you're able to analyze the heck out of it and come up with these great conclusions, but what's the next step? Who are these conclusions going to and how do you make sure that they're really making an impact? Yeah, a lot of times the audience of our work, of our analyses, are for policymakers. And we're hoping that we can show which technologies are feasible in which industries or shed light on where a technology is lacking and maybe where it needs more R&D funding or maybe where it needs more uh, or a demonstration plant. There are a lot of different ways to help technology development, but um the kind of basic analysis that shows the potential or evaluates the technologies in a really detailed way, um, hopefully encourages future funding, but also policies that will promote the technologies in the long run. Very cool. And I'm excited to hear that you're able to streamline that straight to the policymakers that are making the big decisions. I also heard you mention the phrase carbon pricing a moment ago. That's something that I feel like I've heard a lot or at least has come up in the news a few times recently. And I'm guessing this might be related to some of the policy recommendations that you've mentioned. What exactly is carbon pricing and how is it related to some of the problems and solutions that you're thinking about in your work? Carbon pricing is one way to control or hopefully reduce carbon emissions. 
And there's usually two ways that carbon pricing is done. One is through a carbon tax, uh, where you put local governments or regional governments could put a tax on emitters that are producing carbon. Sometimes the tax might not be on the emitters, but rather the users. There have been some discussions around people that drive cars, uh, somehow, you know, like a gas tax uh, due to the emissions from that. So there's different ways that you could implement a carbon tax. And then the, the second way for carbon pricing is uh, emissions trading, carbon emissions trading or emissions trading schemes. ETS is a common abbreviation in that area. Emissions trading schemes are used a lot in other countries. It's not used nationally across the U.S., but there are a few regional or state uh, emissions trading schemes that are ongoing right now in our country. But globally, the biggest uh, emissions trading market is in China, which they just enacted. So that's really promising to hear. And then Europe has had an emissions trading scheme, an emissions market for several years now. So hopefully the U.S. will follow suit. Other important related policies having to do with reducing industrial emissions are um, emissions tariffs or like border taxes. So that's a way to try to think of accounting for all the emissions, not just within one region, but globally. Because um, if you if the United States did decide to you know, have an emissions trading scheme here in our country or, or to place a carbon tax from emissions, maybe the companies will outsource that to, to other countries that don't have that. So having a border tax and assigning to certain products the uh, tax on those emissions that are kind of imported would be a way to still account for that. Another example of a policy related to industrial materials is like pre procurement mandates. And this is really talked about a lot with um, steel and concrete manufacturing. Uh, those are really carbon intensive materials and the government is a big user of those materials. They're you know, funding building projects. And so if there could be a mandate that requires materials to have less emissions than they do already, that would be a way to ensure emissions reductions in the future too. There is clearly so many different ways that policies can help reduce greenhouse gases. And I forgot to mention the most important to us is R&D funding. We wouldn't be probably working on some of our projects unless we had uh, R&D funding from the various federal government sources. So. so the work that you're doing has so much potential on areas of policy. If you had to pick what your topic or project would be next that you really, really want to see all of this be able to tackle, where do you want this sort of computational modeling and strategy analysis to go next? I'm continuing to focus in this area of heat and especially like industrial heat, which isn't the most glamorous, but it's just, it still is such a heavily heavily reliant on fossil fuels and it's one piece of the puzzle for solving the problem of climate change. So my, my next projects are focusing on evaluating all of the different 
potential technologies. I talked a lot about solar today, but International Energy Agency, which is a, like a leading governing government body across the many nations on energy technologies, they suggest you know multiple solutions, multiple technologies that could help decarbonize our economy, and those include carbon capture, cleaner hydrogen, uh, either for feedstocks or for fuel, more electrification, given that the electric power is coming from renewable sources, materials efficiency. So I'm kind of focused on evaluating each of these different technologies uh, for the purpose of process seeding and then seeing kind of which ones are best where, kind of like an optimization problem, like which type of technology would be best used in certain areas. Uh, that way it can give a direct recommendation to policymakers and hopefully push the adoption of the technologies. I like that. So you get your hand in a lot of different pots then by being in this line of work. Yeah. Uh, what is the saying? It's a, a master of none or jack of all trades, but master of none. Maybe that's where I'm at. All of this work that you've been talking about is, of course, super fascinating. But but to me, I think especially what makes it really, really cool is that it's complementing very nicely all of the basic science research that we tend to talk about more on this podcast. Like, we, of course, we need the basic stuff. We need basic fundamental research that's vetting the new technologies from the very, very start and taking a very fundamental lens. But then we also need the research that's really figuring out what are the best options? What's going to work best for people now? And I guess what's the most translational? And I'm really excited to hear that there are researchers out there that are thinking really deeply about those sorts of questions. Yes, they definitely are. And um, I'm hoping in the future I can continue working in this field. I think in this area, um, like national labs tend to do this type of applied research, which I really like. But there's also, you know, nonprofit organizations that are centered around sustainability that work on this. And then, of course, this being like a science policy organization, I mean, science policy needs engineers too to, uh, to back up the data and the work behind the policies they recommend. So it's an exciting field to be in right now. And I'm glad there is uh, enthusiasm around the country now for dealing with climate change. And that makes me happy. Awesome. So Carrie, I have one final question for you. If somebody listening to this episode were to remember one thing from all of the stuff that you've gotten to talk about today, what would you like to spotlight? I would love to spotlight the fact that climate change is arguably the biggest problem facing the world today, at least in the long term, and as a problem that affects everything else. And so any way that our society can work to prioritize this as a problem or work on solutions for it, which in will involve all different types of people and all different types of roles, I would say that is something that we need to make a priority and I encourage people to continue to learn and ask questions about climate change and the solutions and then to really prioritize and uh, pressure others to think about it too. Wonderful. That's, that's such a great note to end on. 
And if people listening to this episode are really interested in some of the stuff that you've been talking about, is there a way that they can learn more or contact you? Yeah, definitely. Um, They can learn more by uh, reading about our report on solar technology, which is up on the National Renewable Energy Laboratory website under solar process heating. Or um, they can contact me by email. I would be happy to chat with anyone about anything I've talked about today. Uh, My email is Carrie Show, shortened last name, so C-A-R-R-I-E-S-C-H-O at u.northwestern.edu. And we'll include a link to that report that you're talking about in the episode description. So that'll be really, really easy to access if you're listening to this and you want to check that out and learn more about solar process heating. So thank you so much again, Carrie, for being on the podcast. It's always a particularly special pleasure to talk to some other people that are interested in science policy and are, you know, really passionate about the ways that science can improve our lives. So thank you so much for being on the show and sharing all of this lovely research with us. Yeah, thanks so much. I really enjoyed it. And thank you to everyone who's been tuning into this episode. Thank you for supporting the podcast, whether that's just by listening or doing some of the other awesome things that help support the show rating, reviewing, subscribing, sharing the podcast widely with as many people as possible, especially those family and friends that you think really need some extra dose of science in their lives. All of these sorts of things really do make a big difference in helping us try to get this podcast out to a wider and more diverse audience. If you want to connect with the show a bit more, the best way to find us is probably on Twitter. That's where I'm always posting announcements and episode descriptions and all sorts of things. So go on Twitter to our handle at SpotlightThePod. And a reminder that this up this podcast, rather, and a reminder that this podcast is brought to you by Northwestern University's Science Policy Outreach Task Force, or SPOT. You can learn more about SPOT at our website, spot.northwestern.edu, or also on Twitter, at SPOTForceNU. And finally, a big old shout out to my co-host, Nicholas Scruton Alvarado, who's always helping out with the show and has been just such a wonderful addition to the team. And thank you to everyone else at SPOT that helps put this podcast together. This episode, like all of our episodes, would not be possible without all of them. So thank you so much, everyone, and we'll see you back for another episode soon.